I want to ask you a question this morning. If you were going to move tomorrow to a totally different part of the United States or a different part of the world, you find yourself in a different environment, away from family, away from friends, away from your children and spouse, away from your parents, away from your church. If tomorrow you move to a place where no one else knows your background, your morals, your faith, or your family. No one knows you at all. And no one is there to hold you accountable for anything. Would you be the same person you are today? Would you be the same person? Values, your morals, your faith and actions. This is a question that has to do with character. Character. Remember, personality is what others see. It's what we allow others to see. Character is what or who we truly are. Personality is external. Character is internal. And in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. We look at the personality. But the Lord looks at the heart. People look at what? People look at personality. God looks at what? Character, the true person. Last Sunday, we began a series about a 17-year-old teenager named Joseph who ends up, at the end of our story, the prime minister of the greatest nation on earth at the time. And how, how does God, over the, a 13-year period, take this young man and turn him into a leader? Last week, we began this series, The Making of a Leader. We talked about the fact that life, it only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but we have to live it forwards. Life doesn't always make sense. But as God weaves the tapestry of our journey, we can look back and see patterns woven into the fabric of our life. How does God transform us into becoming all He intends us to be? We looked at the person God chooses. We looked at the process God uses, the building up and the tearing down. We looked at the providence of God, how it overrules everything. And we looked at the plan of God and the fact that we have to live life forward, have to live life forward. And because we do, we must learn to have faith and trust in God. He sees our whole life forward and backward. Well, today we're going to continue the process, the making of this leader, Joseph, and the development of his character totally removed from home, family, and friends. Today, three tests of character. Tests in improving, but it's also tests in development of character. And I'd like us to turn to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. If we skip Genesis 38, you can read that. That's a, there's kind of an insert about Judah and Tamar, and that's kind of irrelevant to Joseph's story. So we start with Genesis 39 today, and it's on page 33 in the Bible, in the rack in front of you. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord is with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted his care, everything he owned. 
from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Typical man, you know, that's the way it is. Okay. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the, in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought us to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the home. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that was held in the prison, for he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. We're going to look at three tests of character today. And the first test of character we read about is something called success. Success. Verses 2 and 3 says, Joseph prospered his success in everything he did. Now, how is success a test? That's a question. Now, Joseph was a slave, but he was a successful slave. He did well. How and why? Let's look at, for the, re- let's look at the reasons for success for Joseph. Number one, he was faithful in small things. He was faithful in small things. A slave started out doing menial tasks, jobs with small amounts of responsibilities, little jobs. And Joseph evidently demonstrated that he could be trusted in the little things, the the menial tasks, the -the behind-the-scenes jobs, the non-important things. He was so faithful and consistent that Potiphar, who had many slaves, I'm sure, Potiphar noticed him. He noticed him. Joseph stood out, not for his grace, great personality, Potiphar noticed Joseph because of his character, the fact that he was faithful in the small things. Now for us, that may be called serving God in the ordinary. Serving God in the ordinary. Sometimes we look around and say, what, what, am I, what I'm doing just isn't all that important. It might be a mother feeding the baby or changing diapers or shopping for groceries. Dad cleaning the gutters or or shoveling the snow, mowing the lawn, coaching the kids' t-ball team. Or it's kids cleaning the bathroom, taking out the trash, 
babysitting the neighbor's kids, dog sitting a neighbor friend's pet. Maybe it's grandparents who are just praying for their family. Maybe you're not the star athlete, but the student manager. Not the visible music star, but the tech person that makes everybody look and sound good. And by the way, this is a shout out to our tech crew. You don't always notice them, but they make us sound and look good. If they weren't doing their job, we would sound horrible and look terrible, just so you know. Okay? Maybe that's the job, the little things that are done behind the scenes. Maybe a college student doing custodial work here, washing dishes in the cafeteria. There was a woman in our church in Seattle, and as we got to know the congregation, we found out what they did. And, and her job, she did like 35 hours a week. Um, she cut toenails of elderly people. And I thought, what? That, that's, that's odd. You, that, that, you know, it, it took me aback. I said, that's, that's your job? Yeah, that's what she did. And, and it was like, wow, I didn't know people did that. And of course, as older I've gotten and the harder to reach my feet, the more I understand that's a great job to have done. But you can imagine it was being faithful in the little things, cutting people's toenails. What a ministry. Faithful in the little things. Serving God in the ordinary, in the ordinary, the little things, menial tasks. Serving God in the ordinary. Is that important? Malcolm Gladwell wrote in a book that became a bestseller called The Tipping Point. The Tipping Point. He says how little things can make a big difference. He says the tipping point is that magic moment when an idea, trend, or a social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. It goes viral. That's what happens. And it starts with the little things, just the little things. I remember the first few seasons that Mike Holmgren came to the Seahawks football program after he, after he left Green Bay Packers. And I distinctly remember one year they didn't make it to the playoffs. And I remember them talking to Mike Holmgren, talking about the reason they didn't make it to the playoffs. And he says, the reason we didn't make it was the little things. The little things. A missed block, a drop pass, a small penalty, a bad snap. And some teams made it a lot further that year into the playoffs because they did the little things right. Little things make a big difference. Faithful in little things brings success. And Joseph was faithful in the little things. But I think the biggest and most fundamental reason Joseph prospered was, number two, God was with him. God was with him. In verse 2, it says, the Lord is with Joseph. Verse 3 says, when his master saw that the Lord is with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Now, that's a very interesting statement. See, e Egyptians didn't believe in the Hebrew God. They worshipped the sun God. They practiced an entirely different religion. But still, this heathen Egyptian saw something different in Joseph, and that was the fact that he believed God was with Joseph. He recognized that God was with him, and that was why he was so successful. There's a psalm, Psalm 1, which reads this. first three verses of Psalm 1 says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
or stand in the way of sinners or sit at the seat in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. Even, even being a slave for Joseph, he was a prosperous. And then Joshua 1.7 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Success wherever you go, even, even in Egypt for Joseph. God is with Joseph. Why? Because he was a son of Jacob? Because he was a Hebrew? No. God was with Joseph because he followed the Lord God fully his whole life. Joseph was fully committed to God from his heart. It was internal. It was part of his character. This was who he was. Joseph, totally removed from home, family, and friends in a different country. Joseph is the same person in Egypt as he was at home. Success. Now, we can define success in a lot of different ways. For Joseph, it was being given more responsibility. He was trusted, given more jobs, bigger jobs. We, we tend to define success in terms of material comforts and accomplishments, and we're quick to cast blame or doubt on God if we have problems or if we don't get out of adversity right away. We tend to think of outward prosperity as a sign of God's favor and adversity as a sign of God's hatred. And prosperity and success do come from God, as we, but as we see, prosperity as well as adversity or challenges come from God. And God was with Joseph no matter what his circumstance. So how does Joseph respond to success? How should we respond to this test of, of success? His first response is he recognized it all came from God, that God was the source of his success. He recognized that. There was, it wasn't false humility, it wasn't anything. He just said, God has given me success. Secondly, he was still faithful in the small things and the big things. It didn't matter whether it was still small or still big. He was still faithful. He had, he had the same character. He was thirdly responsible, responsible in the little things as well as responsible in the important things. And he was number four. He was trustworthy. He could be trusted. Success didn't go to Joseph's head. He was the same person under authority as well as in authority, the little things, the big things. Same person in Palestine as he was in Egypt, consistent in character. The circumstances didn't change Joseph because he was consistent. Now, we see a lot of examples around us today of great success stories. Usually, they're overnight successes, which is kind of a misnomer. Very few overnight successes. But it might be a pro athlete or an actor or a pop star and, and we find that money and fame and all kinds of things actually ruin their life. They don't handle success well. It goes to their head. They're caught up in arrogance or pride or drugs or all kinds of things. They destroy their name. Well, Joseph handled success well, handled it well. Response to success. Now, what are the results of success? What are the results? Joseph continued to prosper. He, he did really well. Potiphar put him in charge of everything he owned. His response to success demonstrated his true character. He was the same person whether he was up or down. Didn't matter. Same person. 
How do we respond to success? Am I the same person before and after? Or, or do, I, do I give God the credit for success I have? So success really is the first test of Joseph's character. The second test of character, something we all experience, is something called temptation. Temptation. Temptation means to test or put to the test. So we look at this, we say, to, to outline this a little bit, we have to say, first of all, when, when was Joseph tempted? And when are we tempted? When was he tempted? When are we tempted? First of all, when successful. Well, that doesn't sound like it makes sense. This temptation didn't hit Joseph just during tough times. Things were looking up. Now, there are temptations during tough times, we, and we experience those temptations. We blame God. We, we live in despair, hopelessness, depression, self-pity, or fear. We have those kinds of temptations, but we must realize that many times temptation comes when things are going well. Things are going well. Not during adversity only, but during success. Because when we're experiencing adversity, we likely look to God. We know we need Him. Okay? You're in adversity, tough situation. I need God. But when things are going well, then not so much. When experiencing success, we tend to take our eyes off God, look at our success, forget God, put them on a shelf in the background. I'll, I'll pull them out when I need them. That's not how it works. And then, boom, temptation. So when does temptation come? Sometimes it comes when successful. Let's look at how Joseph was tempted. How was Joseph tempted? How are we tempted? Number one, through natural desires. Natural desires. The temptation for Joseph came through normal channels. It was normal channels. These were desires God had placed in him, natural and beautiful. Natural and beautiful. God puts the desires for physical intimacy in each and every one of us. But he also gave us parameters and boundaries in where to fulfill those natural desires. We looked at God's top ten, ten commandments that describe God's boundaries. They're relational boundaries, how to relate to God and how to relate to our fellow human being. And we have been given boundaries where to fulfill our desires. God calls us to exercise self-control and express those desires as God prescribes. Everybody's afraid of things like sex, but realize that God invented sex. If he hadn't, none of us would be here. Just, just saying, okay? God invented sex, and he made it good and pleasurable, but he knows where it is to be expressed. There's a boundary. That boundary is marriage. In a total lifelong covenant with one person, one man, one woman, for life. That's God's design. It's his parameter, his boundaries. I had a young man say to me once, he was attempting to justify his sex life, and he said, you know, God gave me these, these desires, so I know he wants me to gratify them. I said, no, man. I said, he gave us an operator's manual, the Bible, the Word of God, which gives us the rules and directions. And if we step outside of those boundaries and those signposts and those, those fences, it causes misery and harm and danger. Temptation. We will be tempted by Satan to pervert and to misuse these natural God-given desires, not always in some bizarre or perverted way. Temptation sometimes comes in natural desires. 
mostly through natural God-given desires. And sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, is all wrong. And just as a subnote, I'm sure that Potiphar's wife was, was a knockout, just saying. You know, he was a number two guy in Egypt. He probably got his choice. And so this was a true temptation, tempted through natural desires. Secondly, Joseph was tempted, number two, repeatedly, repeatedly. Joseph was not just tempted once. Joseph was tempted repeatedly day after day. She was trying to wear him down. She was trying to break down his resistance. And sometimes temptation comes to us repeatedly, day in and day out. And our resistance gets lower and lower. We're tired physically, spiritually weak. And, you know, we get tempted in many ways, not just in sexual sin. We're surrounded in materialism with a lot of different things. And advertising will wear us down. That thing keeps popping up, advertising. Repeatedly, or compromise. Re attempted to compromise our values. Loss of passion. One of the biggest issues in all of our lives, and it, it's the tendency of fires to go out. Just saying. Fire, if you don't feed it or get more wood or do something, it's just going to go out. And the tendency in all of our lives, the fire, the passion we have for God, is the tendency is to go out. There's a temptation to lose passion, to lose passion. Temptation to passivity or lethargy. Temptation. How? Repeatedly. Thirdly, he was tempted through circumstances beyond his control. Through circumstances beyond his control. Joseph had no control over his employer or his owner. He was a slave. He had no control over his job, and he actually had no control over his appearance. Verse 6 says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Okay? Most of us would like that problem, but he had it. Okay? There was no control over whom Potiphar chose to marry. Sometimes we are in situations not of our choosing, not of our making. And temptation comes to us out of our control. It's not in our control. So temptation comes through natural desires, repeatedly, through circumstances beyond our control, and fourthly, suddenly, suddenly. Surprise, surprise, ambushed. He's alone. Who would know? Who would know? We get tempted suddenly. You don't plan on it or prepare for it. Sometimes it happens secretly. Nobody sees it. And I have a question for you, just, just similar to the question in the introduction. Were, were you to move to a different place would you be the same person in that place? Somebody asked me this question once, and I, just, I had to really stop and think. They asked me, if you knew you could commit a sin, no one would ever know, and you would never be caught. Would you do it? Would you do it? Nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever catch it. Well, let me just say something. We will always be caught. <laughs> just, you know, be sure your sin will find you out. It will always come to light. It may take a while. We're seeing that all over our world today. But the truth is, who would know? God would know. God would know. So what is Joseph's strategy for temptation? What should our, our strategy be? What do we do when we get hit with temptation? His strategy, first of all, is call sin, sin. Call it what it is. Call sin, sin. 
He says in verse 8 and 9, he says, My master trusts me in everything, has withheld nothing from me except her because she is his wife. And then he says, How can I do this great sin? And he doesn't say, How can I do this great sin and sin against Potiphar? He says, How can I do this great sin and sin against God? Yeah, it's a sin against Potiphar, but that's the bottom line is it's a sin, it's against God. All sin, all sin is sin against God. All sin is sin against God. No matter who's involved, no matter what is involved, it's against God. Always against God. And adultery is not just an ordinary sin. It is called a great wickedness, a great wickedness. We've kind of made it a lot more acceptable these days. But did you know adultery is abhorred by non-religious godless and heathens as well as Christians. You can go to any country in the world and say, is it okay if this person sleeps with your wife? Your husband? No. No. It's not acceptable in any. Why? I wonder why that is. Well, there's something inside a human being. It's called conscience. And it speaks to us. But we base it on the word of God. Adultery is not an affair, it's not an indiscretion, it's sin. And we must call sin, sin. It's not premarital sex, it's fornication. Lying is not diplomacy or, or finesse. It's sin. Gossip is not telephone ministry. It's sin. Do we want to fight temptation? We have to call sin, sin. Call it what it is, sin. Then... Number two, how to fight this is state your position. You may have to state it out loud. Just say no. Verbalize it. A no-nonsense answer. It's not, well, you know, I'm not sure I can do that in good conscience. No. Just say it. Just say no. You have to be like that running back that's coming around the end, and the defender's coming at them, and you stick your arm out, and you stiff-arm them on the helmet, and you say no. That's it. Just get that picture in your mind. Say, no, you have to do that. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's it. That's number three, reject and resist. Reject and resist. It's an action we take. It's an action we take. Reject. Stiff arm. Put that in your mind. Genesis, James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. It doesn't say beat him or do, overcome him. It says just resist him. You resist him and he will flee from you. Resist. Hebrews 2, 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We're not alone in this. Jesus experienced every temptation that we experience. Every, every temptation it says yet was without sin. He never gave in. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Memorize this. Quote it every day. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There are promises for help we must initiate or quote scripture. You memorize that, just quote that. It's amazing what happens. Strategy number four. Strategy number four. Avoid compromising situations. Avoid compromising situations. 
In verse 10, it says he refused to even be with her. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We can take action to avoid temptation. Sometimes it's just there, okay? But we can take actions to avoid temptation. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't put yourself in a situation where alcohol is served. Stay out of the bar. Duh. Hello. Okay? If you have a problem with pornography, don't watch R-rated movies or a lot of the television commercials. You may have to put a filter or have a, some kind of a partnership with someone on the Internet. What you see, they see, and, and they hold you accountable. There are a lot of ways to do that. But if you have a problem with pornography, take actions to guard against that. If you are tempted by someone who is not your spouse, stay away from him or her. Avoid compromising situations. These are actions we take. But sometimes temptation comes unexpectedly in ambush. And if all else fails, run. Run. I'm serious. So Joseph did. He ran. He ran. Joseph ran. There's a scholar, Ger Gerhard von Rod, that says this. I had to quote this because I think it's priceless. He said, the garment that Joseph had to leave in the woman's hands was actually the undergarment, a long shirt tied about the hips. It was not the coat-like cape which men did not usually wear indoors. He says, and I quote, this means Joseph fled completely undressed at once disgracefully and honorably. Disgracefully and honorably. Wow. He left. He ran. Sometimes we just have to run. Run. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin. To, it's a sin to give in to temptation. And temptation tests our character. Joseph did not give in. Did not give in. And let me just say something. Only those that don't give in to temptation know the true strength of temptation. Only those that do not give in know the true strength of temptation. Let me give you an example. Let's say we have a temptometer, temptometer, and it measures temptation in megatemps from 0 to 100, okay? 0 to 100 megatemps. And if we're tempted by something and we give in at 37 megatemps, we don't know what 100 is like. We only know what 37 megatemps is like, okay? If you make it all the way to 83 megatemps, then you know how strong 83 megatemps is. Joseph experienced all 100 megatemps and did not give in. He experienced a full range of this temptation, did not give in. Who else experienced the full range of temptation and never gave in? Jesus. Jesus. When it says he's experienced all temptation and he can come to your help because he knows what it's like, he's experienced all all dimensions and all the strength of temptation and never gave in. He's a, that's why he can come to our help. He experienced all things. That's why he can help us. Temptation tests character. And we're, we deal with it every day, every day. The third test of character Joseph experienced, we experience it, is humiliation. Humiliation. Now, go figure. I do the right thing. Again. And what does it get me? What does it get me? 
The results of Joseph avoiding temptation and sin and humiliation gets him thrown into prison. <laughs> Is that fair? Of course not. But again, we see Joseph's character. What do we find? Joseph responds the same way in prison as in Potiphar's house. Same in humiliation as in success. Joseph is the same person in every circumstance, good, bad, up, down, success, humiliation, because of his character. And it shows again in verse 21. It says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, Joseph, faithful in the little things, is given more. Given more. Life. It only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but again, we have to live it forwards. Where are you today? A test of character? All of our circumstances show our true character. And that's why Jesus came to change our hearts, to transform our nature, to build in us a Christ-likeness, to be just like Jesus, Christ's character. And that character brings consistency and stability in success, in temptation, and in humiliation. Three, just three of tests of our character. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have an example, a real-life person that went through issues that, that we face every day. And I pray, God, that as we move forward this week, that you would again speak to us and you would transform our hearts and you would give us strength, that you would develop our character, who we are internally, so that we can be more like Jesus every day. We're not perfect, and we're going to fall. We're going to do things that we shouldn't do. But I just thank you, Lord, that ultimately we can overcome temptation, humiliation, and experience success because of who you are and what you've done. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?